it wasn't calculated at the time, but I've since come to see that leading with your work for a non-traditional candidate is your best strategy. And even if you go to a boot camp or some of these other organizations that are training people, most of those do not have any kind of reputation that's going to get you in the door. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Manley. Jordan, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks. I currently work full-time as a software instructor at a nonprofit based in Queens, New York called Pursuit. I've been there for about two years. Previous to that, I worked as a front-end engineer at a company called B&H Photo in New York City, which is a big electronics retailer. They've got a super cool store on 34th Street. If you're ever in Manhattan, you should definitely check it out. Nice. And um, before that, I did all kinds of things, nothing having to do with software engineering, uh, awesome. which I'm sure we can talk about. Yeah, let's do that. And maybe before we get to that, take it all the way back. Where'd you grow up? What was that like? I grew up in Southern California. Uh, I was the oldest of five kids. We were, a, I don't know, probably, we'll say lower middle class, maybe sometimes just touching on lower class. We were definitely struggling throughout our, uh, my childhood at least. Um, but I had wonderful, loving parents who made sure we had everything that we needed. And I went to high school at a, a public high school. And I remember some, one of my earliest memories of sort of programming was I had a friend who I had known since before high school and he would take programming classes. And when he brought it up, I thought it was just so nerdy. I think I would almost step back a few paces just to make sure that I, I didn't catch whatever he had. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was not cool by any means in high school, but even that was too nerdy that for nerdy. me. Got it. Yeah. Um, and I remember asking him, like, what, is that, what does that even mean? Like, what do you do in that class? And he would try and explain to me. And I didn't understand it. I was never that technically inclined or inclined to even video games or things like that. Yeah. Um, so that was my first run in with programming, uh, though, you know, at, at quite an arm's, arm's distance. Yeah. I had a, I, I guess I had a guy similar in high school and, you know, I, I wouldn't think of myself as cool either. He was, I, I don't want to say he was less cool, but he also had the, uh, I guess he naturally gravitated towards computer science principles. And lo and behold, last I checked, he works at uh, Google and I, I won't call him out, but I probably should have paid more attention back then. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So yes, they, that friend has gone on to do very well uh, in, in technology. And, he certainly uh, has. He's doing, doing great. Yeah, he certainly has. But, you know, I, I always say I wouldn't change anything about the journey. That's it's probably easy to say and a little bit of a cop out because as far as we know, we can't change it. So, uh, again, I, I guess I digress. So so you had that. That was your, I guess, initial exposure to the world of programming or computer science where you try to keep it at arm's length, basically. Yeah, if I mean, right. I just thought it very uninteresting, very not like me, nothing that I would ever want to get involved in. And, um, and I, I couldn't, couldn't lose any of the very little shine I had in high school. So uh, <laughs> I had to definitely stay away from it for that reason too. Yeah. Fair enough. So at that point, I guess, Jordan, what did you think you wanted to do or what did you want to, if you went to college, what did you think you wanted to study? So I was very interested in theater writing and generally the idea of being an artist, I think at that point was what was more engaging to me. I left high school before I finished, so one year before I finished, I left high school and I went to a, what was trying to be a small liberal arts school. In the end, they never did become accredited college. Uh, and while I was there for two years, I did a lot of writing, a lot of writing okay. stories and essays and plays, and then went on to have some of those plays produced by, um, I was in Southern Utah, so this was Southern, I was at a very, very small school that doesn't exist, but I was having my plays produced at Southern Utah University which I felt great about at the point. I was I was sure. a happy 17-year-old or whatever I was and uh, working on that and very much had my eyes on moving to New York City and working in theater or film and doing something like that. Yeah, no, very cool. And so you mentioned you left high school a year early, but it sounds like you went to another school. So was that, I don't want to call it a dropout because that's got negative connotations, but did you did you graduate early or did you just like realize that wasn't for you and you wanted to do something, I guess, a different version of that? can call it what you want, but it's definitely dropping out. I, okay. I definitely dropped out of high school. Um, okay. I never did get my GED. I never did finish high school. And some some people had started what was like a maybe a 50-person school in Southern Utah. Um, my parents 
were supportive of me. I, my parents said, hey, do you want to leave high school and go to this college early? Again, we call this a college in between quotes because um, it wasn't a college. It was just some people putting a group together, hoping someday they would become a college, which sure. they never did. So I went to that that college for, for two years. And um, it was the great thing about it was it was very oriented around reading direct sources, reading a lot of classics and, and doing a lot of writing. So it was very enriching, even if it never did result in any college credits. Um, and then I had the, those extracurriculars with the university next door, uh, working with their theater department on some of the things I, I was putting together. I left there after two years and I never did go back. And, um, you know, I probably had 50 fake college credits or something at that point, but um, <laughs> they closed their doors, I think, probably five or six years after that. And okay. it never did really amount to anything. So that's a, okay. a, I don't know, weird quirk of my educational path, but that's yeah, what happened. No. I love it. You know, we have, we've all got those weird quirks. I, I feel like that's what helps make our, our journeys unique and so awesome. And I think you'd mentioned, so there was this allure of moving to New York. Was this going to be in like the theatrical sense or maybe otherwise, or you're going to figure it out later? I was going to figure it out. I did not okay. know how that would work. When, when I left that school after two years, at that point I was 19. I did move to New York for a summer, uh, which was great and just it validated everything I, I thought I thought I believed about New York that I really wanted to be here. Um, but I was raised in a LDS or a Latter Day Saint family, uh, colloquially known as Mormons. Okay. And although I've not been religious for a long time, the next thing I did was serve a two year Mormon mission in Brazil from oh. uh, from nineteen to twenty one. Okay. So I left, went home from New York that summer, and shortly after moved to Brazil. Lived in Rio de Janeiro and some of the cities around there for two years. So a whole different type of oh. uh, of work, of, of uh, activity. And when I moved back at 21, then I probably four or five weeks later, I moved to New York. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to pull on that thread to the extent that you're willing, because I feel like, you know, I, I, I also, I guess, went to a few different countries in my childhood as part of a, a ministry group, never mm -hmm. for that, I guess, extended duration. But I'm curious, I, I would imagine maybe even at a relatively early age, there were lessons that you learned and things that I would imagine help inform maybe some of the work that you even do today to, I guess, to the extent that you think that's applicable and or that you're willing to talk about, like what was, what were those, I think you said two years in Brazil, like, right. Yeah. In lots of ways, of course, I still didn't even think about learning to program, but I, I credit the experience I had learning Portuguese for giving me a mental map of what the kind of intensity it requires to become fluent in in this case, a, a human language, but later I related this all to programming. So when I got to Brazil, they put us in a seven-week, we'll call it a school, where you're learning primarily Portuguese with other mostly American missionaries. And it's, um, it's, you know, it's immersive. It's all day, every day, pretty much. You go out and talk to locals a little bit, but mostly you're in the classroom. And I would work through these verb conjugations. So anyone who speaks a, a romance language will know that the, the verb conjugations are much more extensive than our English conjugations, and they're kind of hard to memorize. And I would just write out in my notebook over and over all the present tense conjugations, all the past tense conjugations, all the future tense conjugations, and then some of the other less common conjugations. And I'd just fill pages with it. And I didn't, I, I just knew that writing things down, writing it out, seeing it helped me uh, solidify it in my memory. Didn't really think about it beyond that. And I'd fill the notebook and I'd just throw that notebook away. It was definitely the, the process and not, not filling the notebook that mattered. Um, then I left there after seven weeks and went out to start work as a talk, talking to people, talking to people all the time. And it was very hard. You know, it was the first five or six months you, I almost felt like I'd like lost my personality, which I guess I kind of had because it's very hard to express anything yes. about yourself while you're struggling so much. Well, so much of your mental capacity is just directed towards understanding a little bit, communicating yeah. a little bit, and getting yourself just through the day. Uh, and then around eight months, nine months, I started to feel like my myself came back. Like I, I, I still could not communicate as well as I wanted to, but I had my personality back infused into my language a little bit more. I could nice. feel like I was being myself. Um, and then it just got better from there. And Portuguese yeah. is something I have kept up 
all of these years. And eventually I went on to marry my wife, who's from Portugal. So nice. we speak English and Portuguese at home. Yeah, it was a fortuitous thing in that way. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. But yeah, it was it was really hard to learn. And it showed me how much repetition most, I think this is common for most people. Certainly in my case, I need so much repetition in order to learn a new language. And I, I took that lesson with me to many years later when I learned to code. Yeah. No, I can see how that would translate to other, other fields as you move into them, especially, you know, totally disparate fields that have nothing to do with the, the previous one. And I would ask again, so it, it sounded like this was a mission trip. Was there any other intent in your mind before you had, I, did you know that it was going to be a, a two-year tenure? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Was there anything else or you were just serving and learning, having fun? Yeah, I knew it was going to be two years. Um, if you if you grow up Mormon, it's just something that's drilled into you from a fairly young age. Okay. And so I, I always knew it was going to be two years. Uh, you spend probably 70% of the time reaching out to all kinds of people in the community you're in and inviting them maybe to attend church or seeing if you can help them in some way. Um, and then of course, telling them about uh, what, what that church believes if they're, if they're inclined to that. And then you spend about 30% of your time doing more physical service, helping people out with all kinds of different service projects or construction or education, things like that. Um, it was you know, it was tough. I was not, I wanted to be in New York. That's where I wanted mm -hmm. to be. I, I, on a personal level, I hadn't developed the maturity to sort of stand up to my parents or stand up to the way I was raised and say, Hey, this is not what I want to do. This is yeah. not something that I believe in, in this way. Um, so I had a lot of internal turmoil going on at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it, we all grow up one way or another. And that yeah. was a big growing up experience for me. It had, I've gone back to Brazil many times since then. And, and although I've not chosen to remain religious, I've stayed friends with many of the both religious and non-religious people that I uh, met there and yeah. have made many more friends since then. So yeah. it's uh, one of sort of the, uh, I guess, intense in both ways. It was uh, intensely good for me as in terms of my growth and maturity and view of the world and my understanding of myself. And it was intensely negative in some ways and that I was... Yeah wrestling against things that I don't know, my own immaturity, I would just say compared to how I was raised. Yeah. And I, I guess I'd put one final or maybe underline that one last time for, for those listening, because I, I can imagine the, not the culture shock, but just being able to take in a different culture. And I know, you know, I, after college, I lived in Sweden for a year and similar to you, like I totally immersed myself. It wasn't on a mission trip. It was more of like a somewhat proactive decision, maybe not completely intentional, in terms of the duration, but yeah, same thing where, you know, you're afforded this different perspective. And I think especially we as Americans, you know, we, we take so many things for granted, which is easy to do because if you don't know better, you don't know better. But I guess to those listening, not everyone is in a situation where they might be able to go immerse themselves in a totally completely different culture for years upon end. But if you are, I would definitely encourage you to think that through and don't dismiss it outright because I know it, it helped shape the person that I am today. And it sounds like it's done the same for Jordan. So yeah, I, I think it's really cool that you were given that opportunity. So yeah, it, it, it was great in lots of ways. And I have many times thought, I don't have children now, but I've many times thought, how can I recreate some of those elements for a future child I might have without some of the negative, uh, the yeah. negative things that came along with it. So it yeah. is a great experience if you, if you get to do something like that. Yeah. So you get back, I think you were either 21 or thereabouts. What was next for you? What did you think you were going to do? So at the very tail end of my time in Brazil, actually, I had met a Chinese immigrant living in Brazil who was a very good artist doing some charcoal portraits. So I, I had, had him do a, a portrait from a photograph and I brought that back. And then I started what essentially was my first business where I would go around and show people that, that portrait and that photograph and try and get them to order up portraits, give me photographs of their loved ones or dogs or anything like yeah. that. And then I'd send those down to a sort of a courier in Brazil. I had, and he'd take them to the artist. And the artist would turn those out and they, the courier would package them up and send them back. Nice. So I, I did that to get a little bit of cash together and it was a very little bit. I think I'd had people pay half up front and then half when it was delivered. So I had them pay half up front and then I paid the artist and the different costs. And I had about $900 left, $950 left. And with that, moved to New York. Yeah. I had uh, one missionary I had worked with said, my, my family lives north of New York and you can live with them if you'd nice. like after, 
after you get back from your mission. Yeah, great. So I took them up on that years later and they were very gracious people. They, they took me in. Um, now they did have, I think 10 or 11 people living in a four bedroom house, mm-hmm. which just emphasizes how gracious they were to let me yes. join in as well. So once I got there, I realized this was not going to be a long stay. <laughs> I needed to uh, move on. So I took the little money I had and I went into the Manhattan. I looked at apartments and I, by chance, found a Brazilian guy who was renting out his living room. who was about uh, probably a few years older than me. And I, he wanted $500. So I, I said, okay, I've, I, I thought to myself, I have $950. So I can give him 500 for rent. And then I'll give him 250. He wanted 500 for the deposit. I thought, I said, I'll give you 250 for the deposit this month. I'll pay you the rest of the deposit next month, along with the rent, of course. That left me with about $200. So I bought a bed for $100 nice. somewhere at some some store up in Harlem. And then I had about $100 left for food and wow. and sundry items. And I hit the ground running looking for work. And the first job I took was as a uh, telemarketer for a theater company, actually. Nice. And man, I was so bad at that. I was terrible. Yeah. I quit four days later. Or I, I think, wow. you know, it's the kind of thing they look at you at the end of the week and say, I, I quit. I, you just preemptively quit, yeah. so you don't have to get fired. I, okay, I'm, I, I get the point. I'm not yeah. going to make it here. Well, take it. So take I, us back, Jordan. Like there. to that mm-hmm. mindset. I, I, I love that. Obviously, you're in this, or it seems obvious, this sink or swim. Like you're just, you're just going to do it. You're not worried about all the reasons that might not work out, or so it seems like. You're just, you're going to Manhattan. You're realizing this dream of living in New York. You make this fortuitous connection with. Uh, another Brazilian there again, the, uh, the power of networking, even if it's not intentional, you know, you had made those initial connections in Brazil. You had that commonality with this gentleman, which is awesome. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, what was it like? Was it just, you were just going to figure things out. There was no trepidation or maybe little trepidation. Maybe you're too young to worry about the things that you didn't know. What, what was that like? Yeah. You know, God gave me a gift of not being that self-aware and not being afraid of enough things. <laughs> so, nice. Fair. I just, First of all, I had built up so much desire over years of not being in New York. You know, two years in Brazil where I just wanted to be in New York. And then before that, two years in Utah where I really just wanted to be in New York. And then before that, a childhood at home when I just dreamed about being in New York. So that force, that dream of like finally being able to fulfill that, that was everything. Everything yeah. else I knew I could I could figure out. Um, that was a big part of it. Second is... I, I, I don't know how aware I was at the time, though. Maybe I was already aware of this. I've come to see, though, I'm a very resourceful person. I will just figure it out. And I've, I trust myself in that way a lot that I will figure something out and figure a way to take care of myself. And I, I don't know. I know I was relying on that at the time. Yeah, no, very cool. And I, I don't know if I've asked you this outright, but what do you think it was about New York that just, I guess, set this fire that you wanted to move there? Was it the the city lights? Like, what was it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I love people so much. I just like being around a lot of people and I like all kinds of people and I want to be around all the kinds of people all the time. And I guess New York is, is that to me. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I like dynamic people doing interesting things. And I had always been very interested in the, I don't know, history of theater and art in New York City and politics and many, many, many things. So yeah. it's hard for me to... I'm sure it could fill a long book with yeah. the sentiments I have in that area, but that's yeah. probably the easiest way to think about it is I just sure. wanted to be where all the people were like yeah. little mermaid. That's how I am. Uh-huh. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> okay. So, so back to your story, you, you do this, you moved in. It sounds like you got a few hundred dollars in your pocket. You need to make rent next month. You do this telemarketer esque job that doesn't seem to work out. So you leave that. What happens next? And, and before what happens next, what, what's going through your mind? Programming still not even an option. Oh, not even close. Okay. In fact, we're probably going to have to speed up here in a little bit because there's a sure. lot more that comes before I even think about sure, sure. programming. Um, so I knew my parents weren't in any kind of position to give me money, but I always knew that I could go home. I did have that going for me, right? I always knew like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be homeless. I can always move back to California and there will yeah. be a bed there for me. Um, so I knew that. I, I also knew I really, really, really didn't want to need to do that. Uh, so what I did is I got online and I thought if I can find somewhere where they will let me live and work, then I'll solve two of my problems, no work and no place to live. So I started looking for any kind of tutoring job or I don't know anything really, uh, that I, that I might be able to secure some kind of living situation. And what I came across was 
a personal assistant job that said there was a free apartment involved. So I called up and said, I'd be interested or emailed whatever it was. And they said, okay, well, we'll have to interview you, but first you need to go see the apartment. And the apartment was in Hell's Kitchen. So I thought it's very strange that they would require you to see the apartment first because anyone will take a free apartment in Hell's Kitchen. So what, how bad can this be? Yeah. What, I got just there, really quickly, Hell's Kitchen, right? is this a, like a, a better part of New York? Oh, it's not a great part, but it's a better part than where I was up in okay. Spanish Harlem, or generally it seemed to be a more desirable part further okay. further downtown with sure. more more going on, a little bit okay. of a higher income area. Um, yeah, just a neighborhood that's a little more okay. sought after. So I went to this apartment, and what it was, it was a building that was about 10 stories tall. It was a drug rehab. It was a very sort of low-income drug rehab where they're taking largely homeless people off the street and then charging the government for their care. And the apartment was a decommissioned laundry room in the basement across the hall from the industrial kitchen where there was, of course, no bathroom or, or, or anything mm-hmm. or kitchen in that laundry room. It was just 140 square feet of closet. But don't worry, you could go up two flights to find a staff bathroom where you could take a shower or you could go down the hall to find a toilet that was shared with the people using the, the cafeteria area. Oh. Um, but beggars cannot be choosers. So I said, this looks great. Perfect. I will happily go for the interview. So I moved on to the interview with the gentleman who owned the drug rehab. And he said, immediately, he said, first question, listen, do you, um, do you smoke pot? I said, uh, no, I don't. Well, do you, do you smoke cigarettes? I said, no, but actually maybe I could just cut this line of questioning. At this point I was still religious. And if you know anything about Mormons, they're really not big on drugs. They do no, no, no drugs, no, no substances, no alcohol. I said, I actually just got back from a Mormon mission and uh, I don't do any of those things. And he said, get out of here. That's amazing. You're hired. That was all he needed <laughs> to know. So wow, he hired me right away. And uh, he was a a gentleman a bit rough around the edges, but I ended up working for him for the next year or so and okay. had a had a place to live and a little bit of little bit okay. of spending money on top of it. Okay. And again, I guess to be respectful of our time here today. So I, I can I can imagine the lessons that you're learning in that. And it sounds like I guess a more of a macro question and maybe to speed up to other the next big move that you made. Are you just it sounds like you're looking for opportunities, as you mentioned, a place that uh, I guess fits the bill of both living and working just to kind of get exposure and to maybe, are you maybe exploring different options to see what you like and dislike, or is that just a, maybe a derivative of you satisfying this, this need to have shelter and income? No, I was, I was trying all kinds of different things. Anything I thought might make luck or uh, okay. make a name for myself. Um, and I had, you know, on and off success, but around, let's say five years later, I'm 25 or so. I was still very broke, still struggling in lots of ways, not no longer living in drug rehab, but uh, not doing great. And a friend of mine was a software engineer. He was a, probably 35 at that point, about 10 years older than me. And I, I said, you think I could learn to code? Like I saw that he had a regular paycheck and I didn't. So that was my, that was the appeal of coding at the time. Okay. He said, oh yeah, you can definitely learn and you can make, you can, I said, I think I asked, like, do you think I can make $60,000? He's like, oh, yeah, you could definitely make $60,000, which to me was like, whoa, $60,000? That would be amazing. Um, So I I enrolled in the City College of New York. I I don't know what I did to get enrolled there because, again, I still never did have a high school diploma or GED, but they let me in. They put me in the engineering school. I started there. Five weeks later, I had flunked all of my classes. I was struggling to make ends meet, try and go to class, try and do homework. I really didn't have the educational foundation I needed to do well in calculus and some of the programming classes I had. Um, so many things conspired to make that not successful. Yeah. Then maybe two years later, I got a job in I, another, I had worked in retail a lot, but I got another job in retail, but this company paid a bit more and gave full benefits. And so I thought, let me stick around here a little bit. I needed some surgery. So I waited till my benefits kicked in and then got some surgery. And after about a year there, I on a day off, I thought, you know, I'm going to try some programming again. I feel like my job is very boring. I need to exercise my mind. I remember programming be very hard. So let me let me try. Let me see if I can just do a little bit. 
I really did not think at that point, like I'm going to do this for a living or anything else. I, I, I think I mostly given up on myself in terms of being able to learn at a professional level. I thought, I don't, I think that friend's really optimistic about what I can do. I don't think I have it in me to learn this professionally, but I can look at it just as a mental exercise, something that I can sure. keep my brain sharp. So I fired up my computer. I think I Googled practice programming online or something like that. And a site came up teaching a little bit of Ruby, which was more the rage at that time. And I started started just coding along with whatever the interactive coding exercise was. And yeah, I liked it. Yeah. So So maybe... Talk about the juxtaposition between that experience that you had and then the one a few years prior where you had this formal education. And I can, as best I can, I can imagine someone who removed themselves from high school trying to learn calculus in addition to all of these programming. Like I can imagine those were probably pretty boring as opposed to maybe this, uh, the same way that I learned programming is like the Udemy course online. So paint that picture, the the contrast. Do you think, and also I, I guess as a two-part question, do you think you gained anything from that initial exposure, maybe indirectly mm -hmm. or directly? I definitely gained something. I mean, if, if nothing else, I saw that I could do it to some degree and that it was interesting to my brain. It wasn't like my attitude in high school where I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so allergic to this. I could never do this. Yes. This is just a nerd, 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 nerd thing that yep. then that's not me. Um, so it changed my perspective in that way. I, I, I recognize, or I, I, I would attribute the biggest challenge at that point just to trying to make so many things happen at once. I was mm. income insecure, housing insecure, uh, trying to succeed in an academic environment, which had never been my strongest suit. And it was too much. I, I couldn't make all of that work. Something had to give and it couldn't be my income or my house. So or my housing. So it had to be the schooling. Okay. Um, but again, it, it planted those seeds of like, hey, this is hard and interesting. And I never thought about it then, but obviously it's something I came back to, yeah. whatever that is, about four years later. Yeah. Okay. So you're learning Ruby. It sounds like it's going better this time, but you're still at this, I guess, more of a corporate gig with benefits. So so what happens next? Yeah. So so I'm I'm learning, but I'm not putting any of that pressure on myself that I need to become professional or I need to make a living or I need to do it in three months or six months or or whatever. Um, just kind of taking it as, Hey, this is interesting. I'm going to keep, keep at it on my day off and, and see how things go. I, I, I bounced around for a couple different sites. Code Academy was brand new. I think at the time, so you could learn a little on there. And there was a site called zombies rails for zombies, I think, which I use, I, I doubt that exists anymore, but it was helpful at the time. Okay. And eventually I came across essentially a textbook called I don't know. The guy still actually, he had his company acquired. He does a bunch of computer programming training, maybe like Ruby, the hard parts or something like that. Okay. Anyways, this book was great. It was really hard, but it was very clear. It was very step-by-step. -step. You were building essentially a Twitter clone and it was much more of a professional standard um, application. And when I sunk my teeth into that, I was ready for it. It was the right level of challenging for me. Um, and I just kind of started going through chapter by chapter and following along and building this. I still was friends with that guy who had told me many years before I could learn to code. So he wasn't that actively involved in helping me learn. But when I was really, really stuck, I'd go to him yeah. and say, I'm, I'm super stuck here. What, what am I doing wrong? And even then, I didn't think I was going to work at it professionally. Just this is cool. This is keeping my mind engaged. Yeah. I'm moving forward. And probably like five months into that I was always looking for ways to make extra money so I thought oh man if I can build websites I could probably just charge people to build them some small websites so my cousin had a trailer rental business I talked to him and that was my first little client I probably paid me I think two or three hundred dollars not a lot but great I took it yeah. made the best website I could it was terrible I, yeah. I probably didn't even earn my two or three hundred dollars is bad this as still the website up? was Sadly, no, uh, okay. or probably happily, no. He's since okay. moved on to a, a, a better website <laughs> okay. uh, since then. Um, but great. I, I, you know, it was the first time I could take what I had learned and yeah. see that it could make me a little extra money, even though it was a small amount. Around this time, I regrouped with that friend, the coding friend. Um, I don't remember where he was working then. So let's say I'm 30 at this point, and he's about 40. And I said, okay. 
I still not sure. It's like at the pre- preempt everything. I'm not sure I want to do this professionally. I'm not sure I can do this professionally. I'm not saying I can, but if I was going to do this professionally, how would I know I was ready? What would I have to have done to know I was ready? Great question. And he said, you need, you need to create a very good website. That's a full stack website, which means it has a front end in the browser, a back end, a server and a database. And if you can build a website that looks good, that has all those three things, then you, you know that you're ready to start interviewing for a job. So I, I thought, okay, that's, that was a vision I could, I could grasp. I was like, yeah. well, I'm thinking I just did that for my cousin. It looks terrible and it has a lot of problems, but I, I did that. So nothing's going to keep me from doing that if, if that's what I want to do. Yeah. So I sat on that advice for a few days and then I just took that really, really to heart. Um, at the time, as I mentioned, I, I just love people. I love hosting. I love getting together with people. So at that time, from May to September, every Sunday, I would host a picnic in Central Park for friends and acquaintances, anyone who mm-hmm. wanted to come. So I thought that would be a good uh, focus for the website I was going to build. I started building a website where people could you know, see where the picnics were happening. I built out a calendar to show when the picnics were happening. Um, I built out a feature where you could RSVP to a picnic to say, you were coming, who you were bringing, what food you were bringing with you. So it was, nice. uh, the picnic is kind of potluck style. Yeah. And then I went on to do that Twitter app that I had cloned to mm-hmm. taught how to do image uploads. So I went on to build a shared photo album for every picnic. So everybody could upload any photos they took from that picnic. And I bought a domain called the picnic.nyc. And then I I've never been a good designer, but I started looking at a few different websites and looking at the colors they're using, looking at the shapes they're using, looking at the design patterns they're using so that my website looked essentially very professional. Um, I made sure it was responsive. So it looked good on a phone or on desktop. Yeah. And I would say I put at least 300 hours of work into that website, but wow. very likely closer to 400 or 500. Yeah. I worked on it for many months. And then I went back to the friend. I said, all right. I'm ready. ready. Let me let me show yeah. you what I got, and you tell me what what you think here. Awesome. Let pause right there because I want to ask you when you first talked about programming, when you started exploring it. I think you had mentioned that the allure was the eventual salary expectations. So I want to ask you, Jordan, from when you mentioned that and to where we are now in your story, how had your relationship with programming evolved? Had you grown to enjoy it more, or was it still kind of going to be a means to an end? Oh, no, I had definitely learned to enjoy it a lot more. Okay. Uh, I saw that it could support me in the things that I most cared about. For example, in this case, hosting picnics and letting people know where they're happening. Yeah. Um, also, I always had you know, a, you know uh, an overflow of creative ideas that I didn't feel like I could execute on because I needed maybe someone to build a website or some kind of web application or something like that. And I didn't have the money to hire someone. So as I saw that I could do those things, I just felt more and more empowered. Like, oh, wow, if I can, even if I never get a job, if I can learn to build a website, then I can better support the ideas that I have or the things that I'd like to do. Um, Again, even if I never get a full-time job, I can build out my own ideas here and better test them, see if they can be successful for me. Uh, So I thought of it as making me a a better entrepreneur and I I enjoyed, you know, I was building it's a good feeling to build something for everyone, yeah, no for matter sure. what website or not. It's a really good feeling to build something and yeah. to know that you're capable of building something. So I was very much enjoying growing into that. Yeah. Okay. So back to your conversation with your friend, you were ready now. You you sunk 500 per, perhaps hours into this project. What happens next? Yeah, definitely. We'll say definitely 300, but probably closer to 500. Um, he's not a very expressive guy. So he looked at it and he said, yeah, it looks good. And I was, that was it. I was, I was like crestfallen because of course I put in a ton of time and I was very proud of what I had done, but he said, yeah, looks good. Okay, great. Uh, so I stumbled on another thing that all these things I were doing at, doing at the, was doing at the time that I since come to almost have as mantras, but then I didn't really think about it. And this was, if you looked at my resume, let's imagine I'm, I'm 30 at this point, it's 2014 or so. There was nothing on my resume that was good. I had worked a lot of retail. And of course, not that that's bad, but that does not in any way set you at the top of the pile to get called to be interviewed as a software engineer. I had not 
been ever successful in college. I had dropped out of high school. And so what could I put on my resume that would make anyone want to call me to think that this guy's going to be a promising entry-level candidate for software engineering? So I was aware of that and I thought, okay, it's not going to be very useful for me to apply to jobs online or send my resume in or anything else. So I just went anywhere I could where I could have my phone in my hand and show people that website, which was Mm. part of the reason it was so important to me that the website was responsive because I needed to be able to show it to you on my phone because I often didn't have my computer with me. And that meant I went to every kind of meetup or job fair or anything, anywhere I could get around people and show them, here's this website that I built. And one of the bonuses of basing it around that picnic was I didn't, I didn't lead with, I'm looking for a job. I led with, hey, I host a really fun picnic on Sundays. I've built this website here. If you're ever interested, I don't know if you're in the city on Sunday, you like to get together with fun people. I'd love to have you come. And people would look at it and they'd be, oh, that sounds fun. They'd ask one or two questions, but they didn't then say, what's this website? Oh, I built this website in order to let people know where the picnic is, if you want to come, if you have questions, whatever else. Wow, you built that? Yeah, I built that. What, what are you doing now? I work I work in retail, but I'm looking for a job as a software developer. Really? Oh, that, and that led to referrals. That, that nice. It was pretty much as simple as that. Not in every case, of course. Yeah. But people would say, wait, you built this? How did you build it? What did you build it with? What are you yeah. doing now? How did you learn to code? Oh, I taught myself. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm looking for my first job. It's like the perfect and, sales pitch, like no pressure. And to your point, it's almost like you're, you're bringing the questions in where you're answering as opposed to asking for the, the favors and the referrals. Beautifully done. Oh, thank you. Um, like I said, I didn't really, it wasn't calculated at the time, but I've since come to see that leading with your work for a non-traditional candidate is your best strategy. Even if you go to a boot camp or some of these other organizations that are training people, most of those do not have any kind of reputation that's going to get you in the door. Though so many of them are great. I don't mean to disparage them. And maybe you have better credentials than I do. In that case, by all means, you might have a more compelling resume. But if you don't, then you you should lead with your work. Your work, yeah. I say, God gave me two hands for a reason. I got one hand to shake your hand and one hand to have my work in my hand. So as soon as I shake your hand, I'm showing you my work. I still do this today. I'm no different today than I was yeah. then. It's how I get out and network and meet people and yeah. everything else. Yeah, no, I remember when we first talked, I think you had showed me a site, which I hope you'll talk about at some point in this conversation, but, but maybe before we get to that. So you were getting the referrals now through this genuine connection, inviting people to the picnic. What was it like when you finally landed your first interview? Not good. I forget what the first interview was. I think I'd gone to a meetup at an office and they they said they'd interview me. The person who called for the interview was not someone I had initially met. And he said, I think his first question was, what is a cookie? And I answered that one pretty well. And then he said, what is polymorphism? And I I was not at all educated in OOP or any sort of, you know, I knew Ruby, I knew Rails, I knew how to build a Rails application. That was about it. I had done some code wars. I could get through some basic algorithmic stuff, but but that was the extent of my education at that time. Did you tell him you so, didn't know or did you? Oh, no, I, I, thought, I, I thought I had an idea. You know, okay. again, you okay. can see that I have a theme of just, not having always the most self-awareness and just going, go straight ahead and Got it. hopefully more times than often, more times than not, it works out. In this case, it did not work out. Okay. I answered what I thought was correct. And I did think I knew the answer, whatever it was, but I didn't. And he politely said, thank you so much for this time today. And um, I don't think we'll be moving forward. So that, that whole phone call probably was four minutes. That was my okay. first interview. It's a data point though. That Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noted down, I got to learn what polymorphism is and that. Yeah sort of then took me to learning a bit about OOP. I didn't learn more until much later, but I learned a little bit. Okay. Um, the next interview was a could take home assessment. I got a, I think, I don't remember the problem exactly, but I remember it pretty well because it was another crash and burn experience for me. It was the idea that we have these articles and these articles are related to each other sort of through a graph structure, which again, I knew nothing about. And given a particular article, Please randomly suggest three articles that are three edges away from, or three nodes away from this article being recommended. So I sat down and I worked through it and I came up with some kind of solution. Uh, I teach a lot, you know, I teach full time now and I, I see this all the time where the student or the candidate feels, man, I crushed that. I got to a solution. And you may have got to a solution, but the person with more experience sees it as, oh my gosh, this is such a circuitous or inefficient solution. That yes, while you technically have got there, this is not the kind of person we'd want to bring on our team. 
And it was a, a situation like that. They did respond and they gave me some very helpful notes and they said, you need to look at this and this, you know, two or three different things I should have considered and thanked me for my time and moved on from there. So that was another, another bust. Yeah. Good that you got that feedback though. No, you don't always get that. Yeah, no, it was very gracious on their part. They gave me some really quality feedback. So you're right. And that's uncommon. And it was well-received for me. So just another thing I thought, okay, I need to learn yeah. this more. I need to go do more. I don't, I, I had two more interviews, I think in the office and both of them did not go well. Probably I was given some kind of coding challenge and couldn't do it in any, yeah. any kind of reasonable time frame. But the next one was the successful one. And it was again, kind of a strange situation. So I was still at BNH Photo. Um, I worked in the retail store, but we had a corporate office on the next block. And I was being going to a training, working with some very, very large camera lenses. I worked in pro photo there. So we had to go up to the, I think it was the 15th floor and be trained on these lenses looking down 9th Avenue. So we could aim at things very far away, focus on things far away. And I saw there on the 15th floor, people using two monitors. And in my very naive mind, again, I had never worked any kind of white collar. No, I had never worked in an office. I just thought if you have two monitors, you must be a software engineer. So I went over to one of those guys and I said, hey, are you a software engineer? He said, no, I'm a, I'm a UX designer, but that guy's a software engineer. So I went over to him and I said, hey, you're a software engineer? So, so-and-so, my friend over there, told me you're a software engineer. Is that right? And the person's just looking at me like, who are you? How'd you get in here? <laughs> what, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm a... I'm a salesperson from the store. I sell cameras down there. Um, but let me show you my work. I, I've created this website. So I got out the picnic.nyc and showed it to him. By the way, I let go of that domain a long time ago. And it's a okay. new website. It's in someone else's website now. So, so please okay. don't. Uh, I tried to find go. it and failed. So that's yeah, why I didn't don't, don't. on it. It's, it's, it's gone. I don't want okay. any listeners to be looking for it and think that that's mine. Whatever it is now, it's not mine. Um, so anyway, I showed that to him. And he's just kind of looking at me like I've got four eyes and like, what, who are you? What are you doing here? Why yeah. are you bothering me? And I said, so um, like, who's your, who's your manager? And he said, oh, that guy over there is my manager. Okay. So I went over to that person. And I said, wow, I work in the store. I'm interested in becoming a software engineer. Um, can I show you my work? And he was, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So he looked at it and he was favorably impressed. And he said, okay, well, I would not be the person to decide if we, considered you as a candidate it would be so-and-so at that desk but he's not here right now no problem i went over to that desk i left him a note i said i talked to so-and-so and so-and-so today i'm in the store here's my extension i'd love to come over and talk to you about the possibility of working with you guys good for you please give me a call and he did call me probably the next day and invited me to come up for a i don't know it turned into an interview i think it was just sort of a meet and greet but i yeah. went up there back to the 15th floor he um he called an engineer in to interview me. And this guy was, the guy interviewing me was, he never smiled. He never looked at me in the eyes. He just looked straight down at the table. And he started asking me questions about HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And they were, they were very good. You know, what is, what's the box model and what, tell me about specificity and CSS, all things that I was much more comfortable with at that point. I was, yeah. you know, I built this application. I'd worked through these things hundreds of times in building that application. And so I was, I was ready to answer a lot of those questions. But then he got into JavaScript and I wasn't using JavaScript um, at that time, hardly at all. And I couldn't answer the questions. So they left me in the conference room. They went out and had a little conference and the senior manager came back and said, okay, you need to know JavaScript better before we would consider taking you on. So go learn JavaScript and then come back. Great. That was, um, a, that, to me, that was great. That was happy yeah. news. I, I, I could, I could live Got with direction. That. So yeah, this was around December 1st. So all that December, I started a new smaller app. I built an app along the lines of BNH's business using my knowledge of what I had learned in my existing job. So in selling cameras, people want to try different lenses with different camera bodies and they give different perspectives, different quality of photo. So what I did is I used JavaScript to simulate that, to make it so you could select different camera bodies and you could select different lenses that would fit on those camera bodies. And then in the middle of the, uh, the webpage, it would give you a simulated photo of what, what wow. that might look like. So it was a lot of DOM manipulation um, using a lot of JavaScript with no backend, very much in line with that company's business. 
and leveraging the expertise I had in their business. Uh, that took me four weeks to get comfortable with JavaScript to build that. January 2nd, I was back in their office. I'm ready. Let me show you what I got. And I did a demo for them of what I had built, talked through some of the JavaScript I had used. They wanted to go back into sort of a question and answer with some basic algorithms. But at the end of that interview, they again went out to conference and they came back and said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take you and you'll start in two Good weeks. Deal. Congratulations. So that's how I got my first job. You nailed it. Okay. And I don't want to take away from the story, but I, I just really quickly, if we could jump back to when you use those four weeks to basically immerse yourself in JavaScript world, I'm curious, what resources did you use to do that? Because at this point, it sounds like you'd been chipping away at programming writ large for several years. So I'd imagine maybe you've refined your technique for learning new frameworks. And I feel like this may translate as well, which is why I'm asking. Um, hardly. I don't think I had been that... I was not willing, I don't know why, I wasn't willing to pay for anything. I okay. I don't think I, I think I eventually bought a couple of physical books that I didn't find very useful, but I got on YouTube, looked up, okay. somebody had made a little course in basic JavaScript. I started there, just, just pure JavaScript loops and things I already knew in Ruby, but needed to yep. sort of port over to JavaScript. From there, I must have come across jQuery and started using jQuery because I know that's what I used when I built that project. Okay. Uh, but I don't remember how I learned jQuery. Okay. Uh, probably probably YouTube videos, but yeah. I really don't remember. And it was just Googling and trial and error. I really did not have a refined way of, of yeah. learning something, just kind of power through. And yeah. I always had a strategy. If I get stuck, just go back to Google, find a different resource, yeah. learn it again from someone else's perspective. And sometimes I do that seven times before I'd see one that would click and be like, okay, I get it now. I'm yeah. doing that. So now you were a real live software engineer. What was your mindset like? Did you feel like you had made it? Maybe not quite yet, but maybe you did. Like, what, what was it like? So, yeah, I felt like a winner. I, I definitely felt good. So I didn't get any pay increase. I don't remember exactly what I was making at the time, but let's say I was making by that time, maybe $25 an hour. So I would take my first job. I didn't ask for an increase. I didn't try and negotiate. I was just happy to, sure. to be working. Um, they put me on a front end team for our desktop website and I got there the first day and my boss who was not involved in the interview process at all, had a very, very low voice and mumbled and he said, Oh, which is something like, I'm so glad to have you on the team. I hope you feel welcome here or something like, but you just could not understand. Yeah. It was unintelligible. And then he explained to me that there was no desks on the 15th floor. So I would be on the, I think it was the ninth floor. So he took me down to the ninth floor and I was in the loneliest corner of the office with like the lights flickering with no one around me. And the closest people were probably five, six desks away and they were back end engineers on the site. And they, of course, didn't know who I was. And so he sat me there and he said, don't worry, I'll come back with some someone to you know start getting you onboarded and train you. So days go by. And now I'm like, what am I doing here? There's no, I'm just bringing my, I have no, no computer on my desk. I'm bringing my laptop to work. I'm continuing to study. One morning I had a book out, like a novel I was reading and my boss's boss comes by and he says, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for some further instruction and I'm just finishing up this chapter here in this book. And he's like, wow, to have a reader on our team. That's amazing. I love that. That's so great. I really thought I was in trouble. Like he's gonna be like, right. come on, you're new yeah. and you're reading. He's just like, that's so great. We got a, re we got a reader. And he was, he was very sincere about that. He was very happy wow. about that. So, um. The, the, what happened though is I went the next three months with no work, no work, no direction, and really no attention from my manager. He'd come down about once a week. I, some of those back engineers were helping me set up my environment. It was very slow going. And so, probably four weeks in, I'm like, I might get cut here. I, if they're not going to give me any work, it's only going to be a matter of time before they cut me. So, I better get out there and keep looking for a job. So, I'm back to networking. And one evening I was down at Google's office for an event and I saw some guys at the event that I was pretty sure worked at B&H Photo, um, some engineers there. So I went over to them once again, just like being a weirdo, introducing myself to my colleagues. I said, hey, do you guys work at B&H? And again, they all looked at me like, how do you know that? I said, I work at B&H. They said, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a software engineer. And again, they looked at me like, no, you're not. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 I know. we're software engineers, and you're we, we've never seen you before. I said, no, really, I am. I work on so and so's team, but I don't sit on the same floor. I sit down on the ninth floor, and I'm not getting anything to do. And what team are you guys on? Because maybe I can come work on your team. Yeah. And they said, oh, we'll send our boss. To, we need someone. We'll send our boss to talk to you tomorrow. 
So the next day, their manager came down, also from the 15th floor. And, you know, it probably doesn't amount to an interview, but he sort of re-interviewed me and asked me what I was doing and how I'd learned and what I was working on. And then he went to my boss. And I think it was kind of a favor to my boss. My boss just did not have the bandwidth to onboard me or support me or anything else. And so then at month four, I moved on to that team and I never... Never again complained about not having enough work. I always okay. had much more than enough work for the next uh, four years I was there. Awesome. And there, there's so many silver linings there, including your, yeah, I hear it over and over, Jordan, you're willing to, to put yourself out there and to go talk to people. And is that, I guess that's just something that you've naturally had over the course of your life. Was that developed over time? It's definitely somewhat natural and like anything, okay. somewhat developed. Yeah. Um, it is one of the things that will most pay dividends for anyone in their life, if you will just gain the courage to stick out your hand and say hello and introduce yourself. Um, it's a it's a superpower, doesn't cost yeah. anything, everyone can do it. And you will, uh, and I guess it, just in every possible way, you will, your life will be deeply enriched if you will yeah. do that. Uh, I work on this all the time, every day with my students. It's I see that it's a very hard thing for many people to learn. Um, but, but people are out there waiting to know you. People want yeah. to know you. We're, we're yeah. all here to, to get to know each other. And yeah. some people you really enjoy and some people you don't, but that's okay. You, not everyone has to enjoy you when you stick out your hand and yeah. you're not going to enjoy everyone that, uh, that that's you right. meet along the way. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's better than any expensive degree you might ever get. It's better than anything you could ever put on your resume. It's, yeah. it's better than anything. Just get yeah. out there and introduce yourself and show people what you are capable of, what you'd like to do the kind of team you'd like to be on and yeah. you'll, you'll find it. Yeah. No lead with your work. I, I couldn't agree more. So I know we're coming up on our hour and I definitely want to be respectful of your time, but I know you've also mentioned that you're instructing now. So is that with the same company with b &H? Is that different? How did that come to be? I, I left uh, towards my end of my time at b &H, a friend and I, um, a friend, actually a, co a colleague from b &H, many years before that I had taught him to code after he left b &H. And he had taught for several different companies and he said, let's start a school. I think we'd be better at it than a lot of the people that I've worked for. We did that for a little while and it was fine. Um, it was quite good, actually. I was just too busy. So I told him I can't do this anymore with my job and some other things I have going on. I, I can't give this the time that it needs. So we closed that down and he ended up going to work for a school or a organization here in Queens called Pursuit. And it's like a workforce development organization. Um, and after he was there a month, he said, maybe you should come over here. You might like it. It's, we're doing a lot of the same stuff that you and I were working on, but you know, you can leave your job and work here instead. So I applied there and they, they sort of gave me a commission to say, okay, we have a one-year program and some of our fellows are ending the one-year program or leaving the one-year program at the end and not getting a job. So we'd like you to figure out why are they not getting a job and what, what do we need to do to help them be successful? Hmm which I love that. I was very interested in that. Sure. It was an interesting challenge to me. So I left b &H, I took this job here and I started interviewing people one-on-one -on -one as you know our, our graduates and working with them. And you know, the answer was very simple. They weren't practicing enough. That was mm -hmm. the, the beginning and end of the answer. They, they were not, it's very, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around like what 300 or 500 hours of work on one project looked like if you've never done something like that before. For me, it was very hard. If that friend hadn't told me, like, here's what you need to do. He didn't put in those terms, but I just thought, okay, man, I got to knock this one out of the park. It's all I got. I got, yep. again, nothing on the resume that's going to make me stand out. So this is all I got. Um, so then as I started to just sort of port all those things over, I had learned here, hey, we got to be producing a good website for every single graduate here. You need to be able to stand behind your work, explain your work, and, and show off your work. And then secondly, you need to be ready to take on any kind of coding challenge that might come up. And while everyone is going to fail coding challenges at every level of their career, we need to work on getting that you know, success rate higher. Um, so I started putting, sort of laying that out. And my boss at the time was, I think, a bit, in, I think a bit incredulous. Like, it can't be the case that people aren't practicing. They say they're practicing. I said, oh, people will say so many things that sometimes just aren't quite true. Even we lied, even we, if we personally think they're true, sometimes we're lying even to ourselves. With that, I started building a website. It's called codetrack.dev. And what CodeTrack does is it it links to APIs from GitHub, from LeetCode, from Code Wars, 
and it builds a profile on you as a developer, both in terms of how much you're doing, what the difficulty level of things that you're doing are, and with what consistency you're doing those things. So at first I use that with my own students. I've now released it. Anyone's welcome to sign up if you would like. Uh, that started to make clear to me which students I was working with that were you know, really consistently working to improve and those that were not yet able to put in that kind of consistent work because they had yeah. other things going on in their lives. Um, we used that then to better screen for who was most qualified for job interviews or job opportunities that were coming up. And it's been, it's been really, really wonderful to have in, in my company, in my job, everyone's kind of on the same page now where you can see what a successful profile looks like. That profile will show off your work. It, it has some gamification built into it, but also um, a lot of quality where you can just go right in and see someone's work, see their code on GitHub, see what they've done most recently, even see what they're doing next. And, uh, and more and more, I'm moving to a place where an employer can see that as well. Yeah. Um, that hopefully code track becomes almost like a, <clears throat> excuse me, a resume replacement for someone like me who didn't have anything on their resume that would indicate they could be a, a software developer. Yeah, no, I love it. So is this it's fair to say this is a, a passion project that you're, you're working on. And as I asked that, I, I'm looking at it. It's a, it's a very well laid out site. I think it looks great. Thank you. Um, yeah, there's a lot of passion in it. I hope at some point I might make it a full-time business. Uh, it is available to be licensed to uh, schools. If schools want to use it for their own thing, um, my, my school I work at, you can go to pursuit.codetrack.dev and see what their branded version looks like. So any school can have a branded version just with their own students that they can use to refer out to employers or to, uh, to track their own students. And then any individual like me who isn't affiliated with the school, while you're learning, you can get on code track, you can compete, you can participate. And there's problems laid out there in a sort of uh, coherent way, going from easier problems to harder problems. And yeah. hopefully it gives you some guidance. As yeah, you no. I love it. And I, I love the the mission behind it and how it speaks to your your own. It, it addresses that need, I guess, that you or the gap that I guess you had in not having a resume. And now that you hope this may one day be that resume replacement for people like you earlier in your path. I, th I think that's a beautiful mission and a, an awesome looking site. I was going to ask you what uh, what side projects are you working on? But I think suffice it to say you have answered that, Jordan. And I think you knocked this one out the park. So I, I appreciate you sharing this. And I know we're at time, but I want to ask you, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today or anything else you think somebody trying to break into tech needs to hear? Not particularly. If you talk to any student of mine, they will just tell you that I say the same thing over and over. If you're not a college graduate or you are, but you don't have a computer science degree, you need to take seriously that you're up against people that spent four or more years improving their skills. Think about how am I going to be competitive against those people? From there, you need to have really good work. And you need to lead with that work. You need to not be saying, I don't know, maybe I can show you my work. You need to have your phone in your hand with your website out and say, this is what I've built. Here's what it does. I'd love to share it with you. What do you think about this? But, but the thing is, as soon as you put good work in front of someone's face, they naturally will become enthusiastic and ask questions. People love to see good work. So it doesn't take much work other than just have your phone out and say, let me show you what I built. And then if you do not have the traditional markers of success on your resume, especially in our current market where it's very, very hard to get that first job, you need to be thinking about how can I make direct contact with people? In that direct contact, I'm going to show them my work almost the first thing. And finally, to whatever degree I can, I'm going to leverage what I already know about their business. So in my mm -hmm. case, it was that I had worked in retail for this company. I understood our client base. I understood our products. And I brought all of that with me onto the team. So while I was far and away the worst developer on that team, not even close, I was actually the one that knew our customer the best because I had yeah. spent the last, the previous three years working face to face with our customer. Yeah. And for you, that might be something different. It might be that you've worked in healthcare. And so you can go to an insurance company and become a software developer, but with a lot of patient knowledge or, or yeah. other industry knowledge. And of course, that would apply to whatever you've done before. Yeah, no, play to your strengths. Jordan, you've got an amazing story and I, I know there are going to be people out there listening that are going to take all kinds of, of golden nuggets that you've dropped today. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your journey. Thanks. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you can get me at jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N at codetrack.dev. Okay. Happy to hear from you if uh, you want to reach out. So thanks so much, James. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. 
If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.